If he had been born today, he would have made an outstanding reporter. Amalekai only composed 19 verses in the Book of Mormon, but from his verses we get so much information. This is Reading Between the Lines of the Book of Mormon, and we're your hosts. I'm Jay Harris. And I'm Andrew Harris. And again, we're happy that you would join us today. Andrew, tell me about this Amalekai that we read about in the Book of Omni. What do you know about him? Well, Amalekai is the last person to write in the Book of Omni, but he's not the only one, obviously. There's a, several people who write in, in this book. It starts out with Omni, and then it goes through a bunch of other people, Abinadom and Chemish and Amaron, and it, it ends with Amalekai. And so he's the, would he be the great-grandson? Yeah, at least the great-grandson of great great-grandson of Omni. He didn't have a book named after himself, but uh, yeah. no. <laughs> he wrote in the book of Omni. He probably should have a book, because his, he puts the most information. Absolutely. In fact, he left us gems. Was he a Nephite? Yes. Sort of. Sort of? Oh, well, uh, Jacobite, I guess. He was a Jacobite. So <laughs> yeah. he wasn't a direct descendant of Nephi, but he was a direct descendant of Jacob. And so he was really a Jacobite, and yet he left this information about the Nephites, which is invaluable to us today. Yeah. What do we know about Omni? So he was the first one. He was the son of Jerem, who was the son of... No, Aminus. Aminus, who was the son of Jacob. So he was also a descendant of Jacob, but great-grandson, I guess, of Jacob? Was he a good man? Omni? Let's see. He, was Not he the according one who said, to himself. <laughs> yeah, he was the one who said, I'm a wicked man. <laughs> That's right. And he, all he did his entire life was fight the Lamanites. So there, yeah. was, there was just an endless battle. In fact, many of them just write, this is my story. I've been told to write by my father <laughs> to write in this book. And, and all I've done is fight all my life. So yeah. they had to be terrible times. Yeah, a lot of these guys don't really have much to say. And they probably would have if they were more righteous. I think they kind of put off writing or thinking about some of the things that they probably should have been talking about or thinking about and just at the end of their life just went, eh, I was supposed to write in this. I never did, though, so... <laughs> Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But contrary to that... Amalekai left us a lot of valuable information that we find nowhere else in the Book of Mormon. What are some of the things that Amalekai wrote about? Um, well, he wrote about Messiah and, his, and the people of Zarahemla and discovering the land of Zarahemla. Okay. He wrote about the, the rock or the stone. Yeah, they found a large stone that had engravings on it, and they took it to Mosiah for him to translate. Was he able to translate that stone? Okay, yeah. And probably using the Urim and Thummim, which he had, and the seer stones, which he then passed down to his son and eventually to his grandson, who translated the 24 gold plates okay, from yeah. the Jaredite people. So that both were Mosiahs, but one was Mosiah the first, and the other one was his grandson, who translated the 24 gold plates named Mosiah the second. Okay. What do we know about that stone that was uh, that he translated? What was it? a story about. Well, that's kind of an interesting part. That stone, we don't know what it looked like or how big it was or you know what kind of stone it was, but it had the writings about the Jaredites. So probably either some petroglyph writings that were on this big stone or maybe engraved in the stone like a, a, Stella, a Stella that we find today in Central America. Yeah. 
It would have been interesting to see that. Anyway, he translated it, and it found that it told about the Jaredite people and said that they had come from the Tower of Babel and had come to the American continent many centuries before. So yeah, I think it's really interesting that different people throughout the history of the world have written things or carved things into stone to tell their story. Why do you think they wrote it in stone? <laughs> because if they carved it into a tree or into a <laughs> it <would be laughs> whatever, it's, it was gone, yeah. But even if they had something like paper, that would get destroyed. It would get burned or disintegrate or get wet, lost. Yeah. Or yeah. But stone. stone lasts. Yeah. We have this ancestor who found the stone and who carved his own things into it. <laughs> yeah. Thomas Harry's one day was plowing in his field. This is clear. Not This isn't in the on the Americas. This was back in, in England, in Wales. Wales, yeah. And he was plowing in his field and one day came across this big stone that was in the ground and he ended up digging it up and discovered that it had ancient Roman writings on it. Yeah. This was a stone, and there are just a few of them over in Wales, but this was a stone called an ogham stone, O-G-H-A-M, an ogham stone. And he was so proud of this that he put it on the road in front of his farm, and people would come from all over Wales to see Thomas Harry's ogham stone. (laughs) Yeah, and then when he died, he decided, I'm going to have my this be my tombstone. That's right. So he put his information, when they they carved his uh, life information into this stone. (laughs) It's almost embarrassing that he engraved his personal information over the top of these ancient Roman writings. (laughs) (laughs) Thomas Harry's and his birth date and his death date, and used it as his grave marker. (laughs) And then later, the The historians. (laughs) Yeah, this story goes on. The people in the town then said, this is too valuable an artifact to have left (laughs) on somebody's farm. So they went and took the Ogham stone, replaced it with a grave marker, and took the Ogham stone to the local church. And they then enclosed it in glass. And today, if you go to Johnson in Pembrokeshire, Wales, (laughs) you, you can go to the church where this Ogham stone still sits with uh, these ancient Roman writings and And Thomas Thomas Harry's (laughs) personal information. Awesome. So it is exciting to think about ancient stones and writings that were on them. This is what Amalekai wrote about in his writings, in his journal. Yeah. Coriantumr, the last of the Jaredites, came and stayed with them before he died. And he was there for, it says, nine, nine moons. moons. Yeah. I don't know how many, how long nine moons is. It's uh, one shorter than ten moons. Oh, <laughs> that, I wondered how you figured that out. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, this is information that Amalekai left to us. What other information did he leave? Tell us a little bit about Benjamin. Yes, he, he said that, that Benjamin was a good man and that he was a trusted man. He told about, well, he bore his testimony of Jesus Christ. He told about after the Nephites had gone to the land of Zarahemla that several of them decided to return to the land of Nephi, and they were led by a man who was very arrogant. And as a result of his arrogance, the people fought with each other and killed off everybody but 50, and they returned to the land of Zarahemla. But they were so determined to go, we've talked about this in another podcast, but they were so determined to return to the land that they left. And among those who went was Amalekai's brother. Yeah. So that's where that story comes from. So that's where that story comes from. So, yeah, there's quite a bit of good information in this short oh, marvelous bit of writing. Oh, information. Yeah. 
it is a humorous point in the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon is a serious book, so there are not things that are supposed to be humorous. But you can't help but smile when you read Malachi's final words. He was writing on these on the small plates. He took up several lines, and finally he was writing on the very, very last little bit of the <laughs> last plate. Uh-huh. Um, Maybe on the back page. <laughs> have you ever wanted to write to somebody, and you run? You had more information than you had paper so you end up writing up the margin on each side yeah i don't know whether he was writing up the margin but he ran out of room and in the last sentence the last paragraph his last verse he ran out of space totally read that last verse i think it's 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 got to be humorous he says and i malachi had a brother who also went with them and i have not known since known concerning them and i am about to lie down in my grave and these plates are full and I make an end of my speaking. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> he ran out of room. He said, oh, these plates are full. Yeah, he wanted to probably tell us about this group that had left, but he's I'm like, sure. I, I don't have any, I don't have any more room. About it, so. <laughs> the end. <laughs> the end. That's right. So uh, why do you think Amalekai, at the end of this writing, why didn't he just go and grab some metal and pound out some sheets of metal and, and attach that onto the end so that he had more room? I don't know. Well, I think there's a couple of reasons probably why he did that. I think, first of all, he probably was just done with writing. He, he didn't have, feel like he had much else to say. But secondly, in Omni, uh, in, in verse 25, it says here, and it came to pass that I began to be old and having no seed. Okay. Um, so those two factors. He yeah. He was old and he didn't have a son to pass him on to. Yeah, so we can kind of read between the lines and say, you know what? He didn't he didn't have children. He didn't have anyone to pass it on to, so then he decided I'm going to just pass this on to someone else and end it right here. Yeah, and end it right there. Now, what did he do with the small plates of Nephi after he was finished with them? Well, he handed them off to Benjamin, and then Benjamin kept them with the rest of the writings that the kings had kept and they handed them down from generation to generation until finally Mormon gets them. That's right. Uh, and I, they had many records that they were keeping, and all of these records were passed down from king to king to king, and then eventually from, I'm sure, chief judge to chief judge, mm-hmm. until they were passed down and they came into the hands of Mormon. He then takes all of this information that he has on all of these plates, and he starts a new set of plates, which he calls the golden plates. These are the plates that would eventually end up in the hands of Joseph Smith. But on the golden plates, he makes an abridgment of all of these records. He indicates in the words of Mormon that he only recorded a hundredth part of what was there. But he finally finished the writings and the abridgment that he was making, and then, before he passed them on to his son, he found this additional set of plates. They were the small plates of Nephi. And rather than abridge them and continue up with his writing, he just took the small plates and added them onto the um, golden plates. Yeah. I think that's cool because most of what we have, it seems like it's abridged or translated by someone else, and it's not just their pure writing. This first part, this these small plates of Nephi and Jacob, and Enos, and, and all these other people who wrote in that. We we get there, what they were writing, the way they wrote it. Word for word. isn't And that's really exciting to read the exact words of Nephi, and the exact words of Jacob, and Jerem, and Enos. 
Uh-huh. And Amalekai. And Amalekai. Yep. When Joseph Smith received the gold plates, he translated from the beginning of the plates, but then had to start over after Martin Harris had lost a certain section. And rather than start with the large plates again, he turned to the small plates of Nephi, which were attached onto the end, and translated the small plates of Nephi. So that's how we have them today. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the plates are called the small plates. We don't know what that means, whether they were thin or whether they were smaller in size. But I imagine they probably were different, a different size than the plates that Mormon had been compiling. So it's kind of interesting to imagine this book with this little set of small plates attached somehow. Attached onto it somehow. <laughs> and I don't know. Yeah, we don't know exactly how it looked. But it might have been close in size, but it's funny to imagine a, a smaller set. They certainly set. must have looked different because <laughs> they were from a different generation. Yeah. How different. interesting. Oh, we wish we could see those plates today. Yeah, it would be cool to hold them or see them. Oh, I'll see. Thanks for listening. Next time, we'll be discussing Benjamin's address. What underlying message lies hidden beneath those famous verses of Scripture? Please join us. Until then, enjoy your reading.